0: Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide
1: welcome to episode 20 of the yoga meets movement science podcast today's episode is all about chair pose or utkatasana as many of our listeners surely know chair pose is lots of people's least favorite pose. And so we're going to take a look at the reasons why that might be the case from an anatomical and biomechanical standpoint. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: we'll break down what muscles are involved and what joints are involved and how uh, the alignment people tend to say it has to be one way And so we'll take a look at some of the things that like the, the rules that people make about it, such as the knees not going past the toes and tucking the tailbone or untucking the tailbone and lots more alignment based questions. So uh, and then after that, we'll talk about how it is a challenging pose. um, But there are from both a strength and mobility standpoint, but there are ways that we can, work on our strength and mobility, maybe inside of a yoga context or outside of a yoga context to make it a bit easier. So Jenny, Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. first question for you is, could you just kind of give a, a very general description of what chair pose is, and then maybe some of the different variations that chair pose can take?
0: Yes, absolutely. So chair pose is a super common pose that we tend to see in yoga classes everywhere. And I think that the best way that I could describe it just in a super general sense is you start standing, which is like Tadasana or mountain pose. You start standing and you basically just sit down toward the floor, but not all the way down to the floor. But it's like you might picture that you're about to sit down into a seat or into a chair, like therefore the name coming from chair.
1: Is that why they call it chair? Because you you're imagining that you're sitting into a chair or is it because you look a little bit like a chair?
0: (laughs) That's a really good question. How how would that is there a difference between those two? Uh,
1: I guess when (laughs) you're in a chair, you look like a chair.
0: Right, 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 right. But well, should
1: you should you imagine that you're sitting into a chair, or should you imagine being a chair?
0: I think that could be a little open to this. In my understanding, I think it could be a little open to interpretation. I rarely have seen someone explain it that you should think of yourself looking like a chair. But there are a lot there are a lot of yoga poses where we do name things to like, because of how they look, you should try. I mean, it might make a difference. Um, I just think that's really funny. But in my mind, it's more about the the action or the position of like, you're sitting down into a chair. So um, so it's kind of like trying to embody what your body would do in, uh, in that instance. So starting standing and then you just lower down some amount toward the floor. Like I said, not like all the way down to the floor, but toward the idea of being in a chair. And what that would mean is if you started standing, then basically you could think of pretty much all of your major joints of their body being neutral. But if you start to lower your body down as though you were either going to look like a chair or as though you were sitting in a chair, then uh, movement would be happening at some of our major joints. So you might think about like your knees would start to bend, your hips would start to flex, hip flexion. For most people, there would be movement at the ankles too. So like as your knees track forward, that necessarily means that your ankles are going to move into a direction called dorsiflexion. Your torso, so like, you know, the mid and upper body, it may start to hinge forward a certain degree. And, uh, oh, and also, uh, I forgot to say that in chair pose in yoga, we typically take our arms up. So shoulders mm-hmm. up overhead into shoulder flexion. So that would be a, a difference between actually looking like a chair or sitting in a chair. We don't generally sit down at a chair like at um, the dinner table with our arms reaching up overhead, although we could. But <laughs> so that's that's the difference there. Uh, so chair pose is like, if you just sum it up, that's what I, how I think you could think of it. But obviously, all bodies are different. And there are also different ways that we might place different emphases on the movement in the pose so that the specific movement at all of those joints that I mentioned, it might differ depending on how we're doing it in the moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, does
0: that make sense though just that general idea
1: yeah that makes perfect sense so then what are the some of the variations of chair so you, you just described the your basic chair pose well wait mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm, should we get into this now so so you mentioned like you descend uh
2: right the
1: what what would you say would be like the quintessential depth to which one would descend <sighs> And obviously that's, that's a a can of worms, but if we were to describe the most general pose, the way that in light on yoga. Yeah. Oh,
0: I should, I don't have the, I should have looked in light on yoga to see. You should just
1: bring the book from now on.
0: I think you're totally right to all of our recordings. You can can
1: refer to it for all of our questions.
0: Absolutely. We'll do that. We'll do that in the future. But I think if most yoga students had their way, they would embody a pretty shallow utkatasana. I think they would stay pretty high. Like the chair they were in would be pretty high. More because, like a yeah. Wait, no, no, be school high. Post. Oh, wait, isn't this stool low? I think of a low uh, stool. Like a kitchen, like a
1: bar stool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Right, right, right. So I think um, that that's that's totally different, right? Bar stool versus stool. At
1: least yeah, like on. a foot a foot stool.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would so
1: very low chair pose.
0: Right, right, totally. So for most yoga students, I think they would prefer like a like they were sitting into a bar stool rather than sitting into a chair.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's like um, if you're standing that's the start and then mm-hmm. if you could imagine your thighs being parallel to the floor you would say mm-hmm. maybe halfway in between
0: I think so I think I think that's a really good summary. I think for most people to, to squat, uh, to lower down in chair pose with their thighs literally like parallel to the floor, I think that would be a lot of work for many people. That would be like super fiery and it could totally be done. But I think in general, we tend to see chair pose practice a little higher than that. I'm mm-hmm. not really aware in the yoga world and maybe it is out there, but I'm not aware of like one set depth that is just like, okay. this is the depth. And if you don't hit this, then you're not in chair pose.
1: That's fascinating. Because we'll talk about the comparison to strength training and the squat. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the squat, there's like, a, oh, you have to squat. Oh, to that's so true. Thighs parallel to the floor. Otherwise, it's not a squat. But it sounds oh like gosh. in yoga, it's like, well, as long as you go down. Yeah, I don't know, a certain a, degree, like a more than. Amount, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's chair. like you.
0: It's kind of like you know it when you see it, kind of, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like that person's in chair pose.
1: Would you ever, like if you were ever teaching a class and somebody – Like a Mm. one eighth, (laughs) but we would call that like an eighth squat or a quarter squat. Mm -hmm. Like, quarter squats will get poo pooed in a strength and condition context. It's like, that's not a oh, that's just like not deep enough. But would you ever look around at your class and be like, hey, student, (laughs) that's not chair, you're not going low enough? I mean, that's a great, you you
0: probably wouldn't. I think that that definitely happens. Um, For me, I don't. I don't think I've personally really done that, but I certainly have instructed, like, let's all go a little lower. Just like from wherever you are right now, everyone descend lower.
2: (laughs) Just a little.
0: Yeah, just so everybody more spice. Exactly. So everybody, wherever they started, at least they all add a little more. That's a little mean. I know. Well, that's you know that's like. Sometimes that like level of, quote, evil that yeah. I like to layer into my classes and people, you know, people like that because it's yeah, hard for that's... them to do that on their own. They they often want someone okay. to encourage them.
1: However, however low you're going now, go lower.
0: Yeah, exa- exactly. Because, and again, Because
1: lower is harder.
0: Because lower is harder. Yeah. And we I may not have made that clear when we were, when I was saying that most yoga students would prefer a shallower Utkatasana for that reason, because the higher you are, the less work is involved the lower you are, um, the more difficult it becomes. Mm. Although, I guess, I guess maybe we could point out uh, it kind of depends because you could co- potentially consider that there's this spectrum from being all the way up standing, and then all the way down to a full what might be called like a deep squat, or in yoga we call it malasana,
1: or garland pose. Yes, well, it, garland. nobody calls it that. <laughs>
0: I know that is totally like the other word for it. But I agree. Like I, I have not had a teacher say, everyone let's yeah. coming to Garland pose. They
2: say malasana.
1: Maybe because Malasana is easy enough to remember.
0: I think you're right. And at least I personally like the way that it rolls off the tongue. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the yoga world, Utkatasana and Malasana are two distinct poses, two distinct asanas. But you can kind of see how there it's a continuum.
1: Yeah. If you just keep going lower and lower into your chair, <laughs> yeah. you eventually find yourself at the bottom in Malasana.
0: precisely and of course it does depend on the body and many people have like mobility restrictions
1: yeah Yeah. if if you for some people if they kept going lower and lower in the chair their their chair would fall over yeah (laughs) because because the setup for milasana might be a little bit different as far as the foot placement
0: Mm hmm. Totally. And they just may might lack some ankle mobility or things like that. So I was actually I was just bringing that up to point out that let's just assume someone's body who could pretty comfortably embody melasana, you know, like some people can sit all the way down into the bottom of a squat. And like, I'm one of those people, so I can like attest to it. For me, if I come all the way down into malasana, I can actually just kind of come pretty comfortably rest there. Right. And I'm it's no longer really working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that's the case for many yogis
1: yeah so that's that's the interesting thing because we're talking about okay a shallow Mm -hmm. chair pose is easier than a deeper chair pose but there's a sweet spot or a fire spot parallel to the floor where it's hardest and then once you get below that it becomes easier as you get more into what we would think of as molossom
0: right and especially once you're all the way down there if you can just kind of hang out you could kind of just like not really be working in your legs at all. Yeah. Yes. Some people can. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So people, you mean can't actually work down there? Is that what you mean?
1: Some people can oh, not work, work down there. Yeah. <laughs> if, if your mobility is such that it is really challenging to assume yeah. that deep pose, then it doesn't, it doesn't feel restful.
0: Exactly, and I know that's the case for many, many of our bodies for sure. Like, like that mm-hmm. full squat mobility is not available to many people. In the yoga world, I just point out, because, you know, yoga tends to self-select for people who tend to be, and it shouldn't, and you know, I don't, I don't like that about it, but it can tend to self-select for people who are a little on the bendier side.
1: People like to do things they're good at.
0: Precisely. So I think in the yoga population, we may have a higher percentage of people who are comfortable in, in Malasana and a deep squat.
1: That would be an interesting question for the audience
0: yes you
1: know what percent uh are you comfortable in a deep squat malasana
0: mm-hmm. th- i know i wonder how that would compare to yeah
1: like m- maybe my audience versus yours mm-hmm. my mind being a little bit more of a strength and conditioning fitness type of person we totally. tend not to be as comfortable in that deep p- position
0: that's really interesting but in the strength and conditioning world Sometimes is uh, is that deep squat change? Like sometimes people will take like a, and we're talking like now like a loaded squat, like oh, yeah. you're holding weight. Sometimes mm-hmm. people do go through the full range, right, Travis? Like all the way down?
1: Yeah, so so when I mentioned a full squat often being considered thighs parallel to the floor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the standard in the sport of powerlifting, which is just squatting, um. benching, and deadlifting. In the sport of Olympic lifting, which is mm-hmm. a clean and jerk and a snatch where you're taking the bar from the floor all the way up to the shoulders or and overhead or directly from the floor overhead. in those In that strength sport, the deep squat is quintessential because that's the mm-hmm. position that you catch or receive the bar in as you throw it off the floor. <laughs> Right. So, uh, you have to get as low as you can so that you don't need to raise the bar as high when you're doing that explosive first pull, not first, pull. Oh, there's a bunch of pulls, there are names, but anyway, um, yeah. So in, in that sport, the deep or the full expression of a squat would be all, like rock bottom.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: you see other things like in CrossFit, they look for just hip crease below the knee. So it's uh, it's below parallel. Oh, got it. Got if you were viewed from the side,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and yeah, and then there are still other personal trainers, strength and conditioning coaches who prefer, I think, incorrectly, but like a ninety-degree <laughs> knee bend.
0: Oh, I'm aware of some of that. Like that, that you don't go any lower than ninety.
1: Yeah, and a ninety-degree knee bend would not be as low as thighs parallel to the floor because right. when the knees go forward, that makes that 90 degrees a uh, slightly shallower squat. Mm-hmm. So probably the ninety degree knee bend would be not that far off of what you might characteristically think of as chair pose.
0: I think if, if as I'm picturing that in my mind, I think you're totally right. That's like at least what I would picture.
1: Yeah. It'd be it'd be kinda of, it'd be like a, a good deep chair pose, I think, not a 90 degree knee bend. Mm-hmm. But it would be thighs higher than parallel to the floor
0: right right that totally makes sense. like angling up a little bit rather than being in Mm -hmm. that total parallel Um, so that's super interesting and i think that we uh just to take a little step back because i don't think we explicitly said that but we are kind of uh seeing this parallel between chair pose utkatasana in the yoga world and something like a squat in the strength and conditioning world like we're seeing an overlap between those two and and being that this is yoga meets movement science, and I'm a yoga teacher, you're a strength and conditioning person, we like sometimes to draw those parallels and just to show mm-hmm. how looking at some movements that may be similar from the outside and looking at the ways that they those movements are treated and, um, and practiced in different movement modalities and how that might help inform us.
1: Yeah, big picture in strength and conditioning, we call the exercise a squat. It could be body weight or it could be performed with added load. Mm-hmm. a bar or a dumbbell or a kettlebell or a sandbag or anything mm-hmm. on your back or held at your chest and the the range of possible performances of uh, a shallower range of motion squat like a quarter squat to a half squat to a full squat is the same is analogous to the utkatasana down uh-huh. to malasana.
0: that totally um, makes sense
1: and with if you threw in having the arms overhead in your typical chair pose, that yeah. you would call an overhead squat. And you could hold, right. you could do it body weight, or you could have a bar over your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: So would you say that um, the more common form of a squat in the strength ignition world is not with the arms overhead? Like there's a variation where the arms are. Yeah,
1: you you you'd call, if you just said squat, that's not going to be arms overhead. Right you'd want to describe it as an overhead squat to cue that that was good. That's what they're doing. Arms overhead. Yeah. So that's, that's a subtle difference where if if you say katasana, you know, that means arms overhead.
0: Exactly so a main difference between the yoga and like the strength world squat is that in yoga it's body weight we're always only using our own body weight and in in a strength world generally I and mean, like you mentioned there can be body weight squats but generally there's some level of added load like holding a weight or something like that to to make it harder to actually build strength another difference that i uh that i just thought of as we were talking about this is that in the yoga world chair pose is typically practiced isometrically like we generally yeah. lower down and hold it, just right. hold terrible. I mean, sometimes if it's like in the context of sun salutation B, which that's a very common form of sun salutation, it's just one breath and then we move through. Right. But in other times, you go down to it and you, into it and you actually hold. But in what's How is that different in the strength world? It's
1: in the strength world. It's a down and up, down and up, down and up. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you either go down and go up and keep going, or you go down and stay down, and that would right. be somewhat atypical uh well no it would be atypical it's certainly an option in the strength world uh like doing isom doing chair pose basically doing body mm-hmm. weight isometric holds in a squat or a wall sit might mm-hmm. be the, the way that that might be more right. commonly that's practiced a really
0: good point yeah so that's like chair pose but you're at, at the wall right like you're,
2: yep your yep. torso
0: yep. is on the wall
2: Mm-hmm. those
0: are tough we've prescribed those in our strength for yoga program mm-hmm. I
2: like yeah
1: those. they're uh they're fun in, i mean mm-hmm. in like a type two kind of fun way
0: <laughs> right right um and because they just a wall and then whatever weight you're using it they're pretty accessible so like if people are doing their strength practice say at home i mean they could do it in the gym but if they just want to do it at home it's it's not that hard to just implement that at home like a wall squat Maybe with Mm -hmm. some added weight, maybe not added weight. I mean, there are variations. But yeah, so there are some um, overlaps there. Like in some cases in the strength world, uh, squat may be treated isometrically. Yeah. But
1: in a yoga practice, you're very rarely three sets of 10 chair pose down, up, up. Precisely.
0: You may see it, you know, in and out a little bit, like as a flow. I've, and I've even taught that before, but it's not.
1: Maybe as like a pulse between, Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. do your chair pose. Now go down a little bit more, come back
0: up. Yes. Totally. Kind of like how I was saying that I have instructed sometimes to get people a little lower. Um, yes. Yeah, so maybe it's a little dynamic, but in general, I'd say, um, I mean, most yoga standing poses are isometrics. Generally, if we're mm-hmm. talking like the most common way you see them warrior two, it's like you strike warrior two and you hold that. And so in the strength and conditioning world, the reason that squats are generally done in like a, a dynamic way, or we might call it like in, the, in a strength contracts, we call that for reps, like you do the, a certain set for reps. Uh, what's the reason that squats would be done that way for reps?
1: Just through the from the idea of strengthening through a full range of motion.
0: That makes sense, and that's also a really good point about um, in in a context in which we just go to one joint angle and hold that maybe for a bit and then move on. That's not necessarily. Well, first of all, it's questionable how actually strengthening that is in a body weight context, like I'm thinking yoga, but it's also really only one joint angle. It's not necessarily working through the full, like all the way down and all the way up or whatever you're wanting to that to be like considering a full range there. Mm
2: -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So
0: that's an interesting distinction, which actually, I guess, leads me to to ask, like, if we're thinking anatomically and biomechanically, like what's, what's the point of chair pose and ukutasana like in a yoga context? And what's the point of a, of a squat yeah. in the strength context?
1: Well, I, I think generally speaking, we're talking about strengthening the lower body, but I lose that. I use that term loosely, this, the word strengthening in the yoga sense, because if you're just doing body weight and you're not necessarily holding it to fit, well, no, whether you are holding it to failure or not, because the load is relatively light that you're, unless you're un, unless it's so hard to do chair pose that you can only hold it for a few seconds mm-hmm. you're really working more in an endurance capacity holding it for 20 30 seconds so if you if you think of endurance as strengthening if you if you use the term very loosely then sure you could say oh we're strengthening the lower body but we're it's really working on the either you could say muscular endurance or strength
0: endurance that's right and there's a difference between actual like maximal muscle strength, which is, which is like generally, I think what you and I mean, when we talk about strength training versus muscular endurance strength, they are like two different types of strength.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in a yoga, in a strength and conditioning set context, if you were to do use a lightweight and do sets of 15 or 20 more or more, now we're talking about muscular endurance, but if you're using a weight that you can only do six, eight, 10 the the fewer reps that you can do because the weight is so heavy that it only allows you to do that many reps that that's where we're it's actually more about developing strength or absolute strength or
0: maximal strength That's right. That's right. So in a strength and conditioning context it's very possible to continue to add load so that something like a squat can continue continue to be building strength.
1: Right. Now, and if you want to do that in yoga because you've adapted to your chair pose you can either go lower which sure it gets harder and then you are signaling or creating new adaptation as you get lower but at a certain point the only way that you can make it harder is by holding it longer and you're no longer actually building strength you're just building endurance which is fine but you should be aware of what's going on Uh, and if your goal is to build strength for the many benefits that strength has to offer then you have to do something different besides just holding it for longer.
0: That's right, that's right. Something different than just like a body weight pose over and over and over with, with there's like no progression built in there in terms of like adding more mm-hmm. load to the body. So it's it's really hard to truly, I mean, you can build strength up to a point in like a body weight yoga practice and practicing Ugatasana, but in, once your body is adapted to that, and that doesn't really take that long for your body to adapt, then the more you keep doing Ukatasana over and over as you keep doing yoga for months and then years, you're not actually building more strength. When we're talking about like maximal strength. That's not happening. Um, You probably just plateau and it's fine. That's totally fine. But if we just want to be clear in our goals and our intentions, if actual Mm -hmm. strength is something that we're after, we should know that practicing chair pose over and over in a bodyweight context is not really going to do that for us.
1: Right. One way, maybe if you... Were, had your heart set on doing this strengthening in the body weight or in on the mat would be to shift to a one-legged chair
0: mm-hmm, totally
1: which is Im- imperfect because now you've introduced a balance challenge
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's harder to produce to produce force when you are also simultaneously trying to balance on one leg
0: that's right. So it's a little limited, but it definitely will if you come into chair pose and you lift one foot off the floor, then you're definitely mm-hmm. adding more load to the standing leg and doubling it has to it work harder.
1: Almost. Yeah. Or maybe right. exactly doubling it.
0: Right, right. right. So so that is definitely a way. And again, it's limited because it's just up to a point. Like once you adapt to that, then what else is there? But that is a way to progress chair pose for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, would you say that any of the other chair pose variations are progressions or just variations?
0: Good question. We have
1: twisting chair,
0: and um, I, chair, I include pigeon chair in there. Yeah, which is like chair which pose I guess with is one, a one leg legged. Pigeon. Pigeon. Similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I think those are more variations, and not, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's harder in certain. We like pigeon chair has the balance element, so it's harder for balance compared to two feet on the floor, but not necessarily for strength. So maybe it's a progression if you're thinking balance, but.
1: Well, we're wait. About strength. pigeon chair is a single leg chair, right?
0: Yes, yes, it so is. That, that
1: would that would be more challenging from a balance standpoint, right?
0: Sorry, you're. Totally or, sorry, right. sorry.
1: More challenging from a strength standpoint.
0: Right, it would be in my. I'm, and I'm sorry, I was not being clear. It's not that much different in my mind to just a single leg squat. So not a progression beyond that.
1: From a strength standpoint, probably easier than a single leg squat because that other leg is at least has a point of contact
0: mm-hmm. with the with thigh something. to
1: do something. Yeah.
2: That's a
0: really Whereas good the, point.
1: you know, a regular single leg, you're just picking that foot up and then
0: there's nothing. Totally, totally. To so yeah, pigeon chair is a progression compared to regular chair. But yeah, but again, it, it's all just kind of, and then and then there's twisting chair, as you mentioned, where maybe you bring your hands in front of your heart, twist and maybe hulk your elbow over the opposite knee. So then you're in a twisting form of Ukatasa. that's a very common one.
1: And that that actually would load the side that you're twisting to a little bit more.
0: Yeah, you mean the as far as the leg, like the lower body. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And a variation I often teach, uh, because if it is pretty effortful, is to come Ooh, into twisting chair. Do you know what? Do you, I think I know? What is, what is it?
1: You come into twisting chair, and then while maintaining that chair, you step the Mm -hmm. one leg back into twisting high lunge Mm
0: -hmm. that's what i would call that yeah yeah exactly The
1: the jenny rowling (laughs) special i love that you do
0: that well i didn't
1: i didn't see it it in your eye
0: (laughs) i just happen to really like that transition it helps you feel good work through the lower body but yeah and it's like a slow thing it's like you come into twisting chair and then you lift the other foot and you kind of hover there and then you ideally slowly take it back so you're having to control all of that and then you and then, reverse then you can reverse yeah so you could you could move on to something else or you could reverse so you could just pick up the foot mm-hmm. from the lunge and s- try to slowly step it forward and and land lightly back in the twisting chair it's a good one so definitely a way what do you say did you say evil it's
1: evil yeah,
0: yeah it totally is which is maybe one reason why i've sequenced it into some of my classes but yeah yes yeah, so these are some examples of the way that you of how you can take chair pose And um, yeah, offer variations, offer some progressions, again, to a point. And then another thing I was hoping we could clarify about chair pose and just about squats in general is, so when you do something like chair pose, like I mentioned kind of back in the beginning, we could have a certain, we have like a general certain amount of movement through like the hips and the knees, hip flexion and knee flexion as we lower down. But depending on our emphasis in the moment and maybe depending on the individual body and their anthropomorphic dimensions, those actual degrees of movement at those two places may differ. But mm-hmm. we may layer on some attention, like we might ask someone um, to squat down by bringing their knees more forward, like they could squat down in a more like knee dominant way that might be called, or they could squat that's in a more hip dominant way where they bring the hips like back there's still going to be movement at both the hips and the knees, but we are just emphasizing more hips or more knees. So uh, could you speak to like the difference between those two and maybe how they relate to like a squat versus a hip hinge at one end of the spectrum and how they're different? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a great question. So we've been saying, okay, chair pose is a squat, chair pose is a squat, Mm -hmm. but as you mentioned, there are, it's a continuum, but on either end of the spectrum, You can do it as more of a knees forward, torso vertical. We would call that in a strength and conditioning context, a knee dominant, whatever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a knee dominant lower body movement, or you could disallow your knees to go forward. Mm -hmm. So your shins stay more vertical and Mm -hmm. then to get descend into your chair pose, that means that the movement is coming through a posterior shift of the hips Mm -hmm. and then the torso is coming forward. So... More of the movement is coming from hip flexion as opposed to kind of equal parts hip and knee flexion, as I mentioned, if you're allowing the knees to go forward. Mm-hmm. So when the knees go, uh, okay. And so when you do it with that vertical shin, hips back, torso forward, we call that in a strength and conditioning context, we call that a hip dominant exercise.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that will load the hip extension muscles more. So hamstrings, glutes, and erector spinae versus the knee dominant version where the knees go forward which is more of a quadriceps knee extension Mm -hmm. dominant quadriceps movement so in a strength and conditioning setting you can you could take a squat actually and you could do it as more of a knee dominant squat or as more of a hip dominant squat or you could depending on where you're holding the weight is kind of how Mm it differentiates the name of the exercise. But the, the hip dominant style of lifting, we could also call a deadlift. Mm -hmm. If the weight, uh, if you were picking the weight up from the floor and it's your, your arms are straight at your sides. So you can base, basically you can do a chair pose either in a hip dominant or a knee dominant way. Mm -hmm. Those would be the two extremes. And then maybe somewhere in the middle is where it would be most commonly practiced but right. if you know you can you could choose for yourself today i'm interested in working the fronts of my thighs i'm going to mm-hmm. try to stay really vertical and let my knees go forward that's also going to give me a little bit more of a stretch through the back of my calves There's so I'm that gonna too. Get a little bit more ankle mobility at that mm-hmm. time or you could say today i want to give my quads a break I'm interested in working more of the posterior chain muscles, hamstrings, glutes, low back. I'm going to do my chair pose in more of a hip dominant fashion, not going to allow my knees to come forward. I'm just going to get the movement through my uh, or majority through my hips.
0: That's right. And uh, necessarily, if you're going to do it that way, then the the torso tends to hinge forward more versus like that vertical torso. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you could kind of think of like, there's like a spectrum there, like with two extremes and one, you have a total upright torso and just the knees go forward. And then the other yeah. is just the hips go back and the torso goes forward.
1: And and I would say as a naive yoga student for a long time, I didn't know what the correct way to mm-hmm. do it was. Um, I'm My case is a little bit unique or maybe a lot of it unique because I don't have any dorsiflexion
2: through mm-hmm. my prosthetic
1: side ankle. So that so that's right can't. so
2: you can't the only
1: way that i can the only way that i can do a really knee dominant chair pose is right. to allow my heel to pop off the floor basically right. as soon as my knee goes forward so i probably tend towards the more hip dominant mm-hmm. style uh because it's just easier for me to keep because i think one of the not that there are any rules but we we didn't describe the heels popping off the ground any point up into this conversation as being characteristic of a chair pose. Right. So generally speaking, you do keep the feet flat on the ground. So for me to keep my feet flat on the ground, I necessarily have to have a more vertical shin and do it in more of a hip dominant fashion. Um, but I, like, I also would be fighting myself if the teacher were trying to teach it as more like chest Mm -hmm. up, like don't allow your torso to come forward. And it's like, well, how can I, I can't get my body to do what you're asking me to do. So that was always, I never liked chair pose for that reason Um, (laughs) because it it never, like if the teacher instructed it that way, it didn't feel right to me because I was trying to do two competing things at once. It does not work for your body. Right. But then I learned that chair pose could look however you want it to look within reason in terms of this continuum of more of a hip or knee Mm -hmm. strategy Mm -hmm. and more of an upright or inclined torso. And that, uh, that works really well for me, the, the more hip dominant one.
0: I gave you the permission to then just like um, fit the pose to your body rather than feeling like you weren't doing mm-hmm. it right or you mm-hmm. had to fit your body to the pose when you literally couldn't fit your body to the pose.
1: Right. Uh, I'd love to hear your evolution of how you, <laughs> you taught this over the years, because I, I think you maybe started yes. one way, went to the other potential extreme, and maybe now have come somewhere <laughs> to the middle. Would that be an accurate?
0: I think the first part of that, yes. Uh... Just a quick moment to interject, and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. As you can probably tell from this conversation, Travis and I value taking an evidence-based approach to the body and movement, which means incorporating insights from scientific research into our practice and teachings. We channel our understanding of movement science into our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering, which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our program empowers yogis in both their yoga practice and their whole life in general. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any other membership on my website. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRollings.com and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode.
1: I'd love to hear your evolution of how you you taught this over the years, because I, I think you maybe started yes. one way, went to the other potential extreme, and maybe now have come somewhere to the middle. Would that be an accurate?
0: I think the first part of that, yes. Um, definitely back in my earlier days of uh, after I took like certain trainings that taught me You know um, about the importance of alignment to protect the body and aligning our bodies well to keep our bodies pain free things like that there was a lot of emphasis at least in the trainings that i did on the um well really two things and this is going to actually i think get right into our list that we're going to start talking about of um a lot of these alignment questions and and confusion that comes up around chair pose so i think this kind of leads us right into that but in this training there was this big emphasis on the importance of glute strengthening so the glutes you know the back side of the hips there was this idea that everybody in like western society has weak underdeveloped glutes and that that's causing our bodies all these problems and all these imbalances and
1: we have an episode about that
0: i was gonna say that we totally do um do you remember what it's called
1: ah no
0: are the yeah, yeah I, do. I do are the glutes a magic muscle is an episode it's just uh I don't know 5 episodes ago or something like that um and we can link it in the show notes but we totally talk about that like that tendency in general for the glutes to be elevated as this like super important area of the body to target but i'm just bringing that up today because it ties into chair pose so this a uh, few trainings that i took definitely emphasized that and that was one of the reasons there were two reasons but that was one of the reasons why chair pose was always taught in in the context of this training and these beliefs about the body it was taught that it was really important for the body and that that it was correct to only do a chair pose that was more on that i'd say the hip hinge side so meaning like if you were going to cue chair pose you would cue people to send their hips back and to not let the knees travel forward Because as you described, Travis, when you practice that version of of squatting, where it's more um, hip dominant, then you're targeting more of those hip extensor muscles, which includes the glutes. And uh, so so that would be the way that it was cued. And um, it was twofold. It was one that we really wanted to target those glutes because they were causing us all these problems. And then the other side, the other side was that if we allowed our knees to track forward, that was bad for the knees. And that they was going explode. to ex, Exactly. Just that like was poof. They would just like, or, or boom, dis, right, right. As soon as you let your knees go forward, for sure. So that was also tied into it was just that like letting the knees track forward, like, um, you know, when you're up in a standing pose like that, a standing position that that's bad for the knees, and you're going to cause wear and tear on the knees, pain and injury. So we had to avoid that it was like red X. Mm. on knees forward um, toward the toes or pat like don't even talk about past the toes that's like crazy Um, and it was all about it had to be hips back so that really informed me when i would teach utkatasana and i have to admit travis that i have this memory of you when you started taking classes in my online class library i don't know why you did this
1: i started from the beginning
0: (laughs) you scroll it's like 200 classes in there you scrolled all the way down to the bottom they're in date order i wanted to
1: be thorough
0: you want to take like every single one from the earliest mm-hmm. to the most recent. They're in date order. So you scrolled all the way to the bottom to the very first yeah, class, which was like years ago, 20,
1: 2014 yeah. or so. It was
0: something like that. And you took that class and maybe even a few. Like there's like a handful, Darn that right? I, that they were almost... great. And that's what you told me. You said you thought they were great.
1: You don't believe it, but they were great.
0: But you also and I just you. Had to,
1: I think I said <laughs> I had to um uh, like well, ignore or take take some of the the narrative around mm-hmm. the instructions with a grain of salt. But <laughs> I particularly remember doing chair pose and you're instructing it that way. I'm like, ooh, this is great for me.
0: Oh, for you, you're so right.
1: <laughs> right.
0: For you, that would if that class was made for you, it would be like perfect for you. But the way I was mm-hmm. teaching it, which was more like everyone should do it this way and this is the right way.
1: Yeah, there, there were some subtle undertones or maybe not so subtle undertones. I know. Of the, don't let your knees go forward this is the correct way
0: i remember when you told me that like i had you were I, like uh, oh i
1: gotta take that class yes down.
0: and I, I i remember like my face got red like i was embarrassed i was like i can't believe i because normally i try to if i had a class with stuff things like that i would take them off take it off the website and i just hadn't remembered that in those but classes it, but
1: if you turn if you turn the sound off and did the flow it's a it's a terrific class. It's just that there's right. some explanations that you wouldn't agree with anymore it, that's but precisely that's okay. true,
0: but the actual movements are great
1: yeah i well, I think there were even some things I was like, oh, you should bring that back yeah, Forget what yes. it was. I'm sure that every teacher, if they rewatched their, if they, mm-hmm. most pe- teachers probably don't have recordings of themselves from 2014, but so if they true. did, I'm sure there would That's be some so things true. that they would disagree with. And if they, there weren't things that they disagreed with, that would probably be indicative That's that they so hadn't new. evolved as much as maybe one would hope in the intervening eight
0: years. I really love how you point that out. And it's so true, right? Yeah. It's almost like if we haven't changed anything in eight years, it's like have we just stayed really stuck and we're yeah. not taking the new information? Yeah.
1: And we we've talked about this with your blog. Like you'll go through mm-hmm. and add some disclaimers. Mm-hmm. Harder to do that with a yoga yes. class.
0: That's so, totally true. Like I, I don't know, put like uh, put me like as a talking head over, like just so you know. Like <laughs> no, that would not work. Right. Um, but anyway, so clearly I don't teach chair pose with emphases like that today, but back then I did. And like I mentioned, it was for two reasons. It was one, that it was super important that everybody strengthened the glutes. And two, it was that knees forward was was bad, bad for us.
1: So... Should we just say now you're probably somewhere in the middle?
0: Yeah. like, I, But I never... like It's not... I wouldn't say I went to another extreme where I started teaching no, chair pose no. like always knees forward or something no but just like yeah like i yeah i just don't try to control it you know in a in a yoga body weight context it'd be different Mm -hmm. in a strength training context where we have different goals
1: yeah you're deliberately trying to elicit
0: Mm -hmm. a certain adaptation like different there are different variations of squats in the strength and conditioning world and you would intentionally may ask someone to do one because you have a specific uh, intention for exactly what type of strength you're trying to yeah, case.
1: I th- I think like everybody has a, a movement signature where like this is going to be their more comfortable way of performing the squat. Ideally, I guess from a mobility standpoint, you would want people to have the ability to perform either a more upright mm-hmm. or a more torso inclined version of either like, well, basically of the squat just for the sake of being more versatile but mm-hmm. yeah, you can, you can, you'll necessarily gravitate towards the one that you're more comfortable with the one that you feel stronger in.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So can we talk about the knees over toes thing a little bit yeah. more and the idea yeah. that, uh, that, that is like a dangerous thing to be doing. And we should avoid letting the knees track forward.
2: Mm-hmm, Cause Bef- they'll
0: explode. Exactly. Before we recorded this episode. We put out like a call for questions, you know, just about chair pose and about things you've heard about it that are confusing. And the number one thing that people responded with was, was not letting the knees move forward. Like just that they hear that all the time. They weren't clear on what would happen. You know, if you do let the knees go forward, why, why do people say that? So just a lot of questions surrounding this. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about letting the knees track forward of the toes in chair pose or, or squat?
1: Yeah, I think it's okay
0: you do <laughs> i think it's Try okay us? i
1: think it might even be desirable so in, in a squat and there's the same these same questions pop up in the squat in the strength and conditioning fitness context where somebody at some point said don't let the knees go past the toes and then it showed up in the textbooks blah blah uh, blah yeah it created like this whole thing of you shouldn't let your knees go forward and then when you drill down it's like but wait a second if the the ideal version of this upright knee dominant squat, like that you would do if you were an Olympic lifter, requires the knees mm-hmm. to go forward mm-hmm. in order to keep a vertical torso, mm-hmm. then these two rules are incongruous. Like you cannot keep an upright torso and if your knees aren't going forward past your toes.
0: Like one requires so, the other.
1: Yeah so there's been some research looking at the forces through the knee and through Mm -hmm. the hips and low back in these various different techniques or different styles of the squat Mm -hmm. and yes it is true that if you allow your knees to go forward past your toes there is more force that goes through your knees that's so if you that is true so if you look at that in isolation, you say, Well, I want to protect my knees. I'm not going to let my knees go past my toes. Mm-hmm. When you do that and you don't let your knees go past your toes, and you have more of a hip dominant squat, that just shifts those forces to your hips and have, the back.
0: They have to go somewhere, right? So if they don't go. <laughs> yeah, the, the, w- the, knees, the weights on your back somewhere.
1: either way. Right. So which is also potentially fine.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: But the it's like it's narrow minded to say well i want to protect my knees so i'm not i'm gonna keep my knees back like -hmm. you said the forces have to go somewhere so then the 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 question is really well what what's safe like is the amount of load that's going through the knees if you allow the knees to go forward safe and the answer is yes it's not it's not going to explode your knees it they're
0: capable of handling that load
1: right now you want to be smart, and you mm-hmm. want to. If you you want to build that up over time, but the the point is that the knees are capable of handling that load, especially in a body weight context. That's what um, I was just
2: going to mention. But include
1: yeah. including with in a loaded context. The the one thing that maybe you would want to be cautious of is just going to end range, mm-hmm. uh knee f- knees forward, which is just. That like you don't go that far in, in a squat usually. I mean, unless you're like unless you're really an Olympic lifter to. rock bottoming out to catch the weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's you know that's a sport, and they're again they're mm-hmm. adapting to that. Um, but uh, like for most people, if the knees go two inches, uh, four inches past the toes, the toes, that would be a that would be a lot, and that would still be perfectly fine.
0: Right. Right. Not um, not too much. And definitely something that if you load it and increase loads over time, the tissues in the knee should adapt to continue to handle that load, let alone in a yoga context where we literally have no weights and it's just our body weight, like doing chair pose where Mm -hmm. the knees track forward or Travis, or even doing, because these same uh, rules come, they are also applied to a lot of our standing poses in yoga, like warrior one pose, for example, or high lunge or low Mm -hmm. lunge where the back knee is on the ground, meaning The front leg isn't even bearing very much weight
1: yeah i always imagine that was an aesthetic but no i guess they say the same thing it's both Right. right there's
0: both yeah you mean aesthetic in that just the 90 degree angle at the knee is like the pose and so we're trying to do that and that's one reason why
1: yeah the 90 degree with the vertical shin
0: right 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 yeah
1: but i guess that's the same that's the same in chair pose maybe like oh we like that vertical shin we just
0: like how it looks yeah
1: but i I feel like the the argument is more for like don't let the knees go past the toe no
0: for sure that that yeah yeah, i hear a lot of warnings about that like that it's supposed to be bad for the yeah so it's not for the Mm -hmm. aesthetic reason it's just like don't do that you're gonna hurt your knee so that would be Mm -hmm. if someone were in warrior one and now we're talking that's not two feet side by side but it's like a lunge one foot forward one back behind you and the idea is if they do warrior one and that knee tracks forward over those toes rather than being stacked right above the ankle, that would be uh, that would be incorrect in like these yoga contexts. And that would be said as a misalignment. That's another term for it mm-hmm. and something that's going to injure the knee. And all of that is not supported, I would suggest, by like what we know, what but what research yeah. literally has shown.
1: Yeah, it's nonsense.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So oh, someone
1: a, said it once, and then it just it spread, got whispered down the lane,
0: and everyone started to believe it. It's so true. Plus, Travis, don't our knees track forward over our toes in many just like activities of daily living? For example, yeah, or, or at least in that direction.
1: The, yeah, the 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 common example that everybody gives is well, when you go down the stairs, your mm-hmm. knees go past the toes. I think that's a little different.
2: <laughs> you do. I,
1: it's it's a it's a a good simple visual for like oh i can
2: getting see getting the that point across
1: yeah but also like it's not exactly the same i mean you're you're going downstairs right. like your heel's not on the ground anymore and your weight is oh that's true distributed forward if you were doing like a a step down exercise where uh-huh. you're keeping your heel down and you're tapping your heel on the, the floor in front mm-hmm. of you like if mm-hmm. imagine you're standing on the last step and then yeah. you were like going down and then going back up. Mm-hmm. That that would be like a true. Oh, look, your knees going past your toes, and that's a, that's basically a single leg squat.
0: Oh, totally. Um,
1: but it's so it's fine to get the point across that. Right. like, look, your knees go past your toes in in everyday real life, but it's not exactly.
0: It's not the same as like apples, a squat. So. That makes sense. That totally makes. Sense. I'm glad you pointed that out. I hadn't thought about it that way before. But it's, it's just to... it's fine.
1: <laughs> It's, it's a quick example to like show people like, Hey, look, your knees are going past your toes here and you don't worry about that.
0: Right. Why are we worried about it? Especially in a body weight context. Um, But then Mm -hmm. it seems that even in a strength, in the strength context where there are a lot, there's a lot more load involved. It's still not something that, of course, it's all, like you said, about being smart and loading progress. Don't just dive into huge loads on you and then doing that movement, but do it Mm -hmm. over time. Um, and then I think uh, just as far as the knees over toes thing goes like one final point and we can move on from talking about this is that there may be some reason some people may want to avoid moving in that direction. If, oh, right. for example, they have uh, anterior knee pain and if letting the knees track forward uh, reproduces that pain or creates that symptom. Then maybe, and again, this is all a big maybe because as we've talked about before on the podcast, um, pain with exercise is kind of not necessarily always bad, but but just assuming someone doesn't want to feel that pain, they may choose to back off. And maybe if they were doing squats or chair pose, they may intentionally choose a variation where the knees don't track forward so that they can avoid yeah. um, sensitizing the knee. You know, ideally it's just a temporary solution until that sensitivity calms down.
1: Right. I think that's the that's a good thing to bear in mind. It's not like, a, oh, you ha- you're have you a person who has knee pain. You're a knee pain person. Therefore, you should only ever do your chair pose with vertical shin in a hip dominant fashion. It's like, no, you. Right. in this moment, for now, mm-hmm. try it that way. If it doesn't hurt, great. And we can revisit. The... It doesn't have to be a, for the rest of your life. This is how you have to do it. It's just a temporary right. modification. And then you can revisit uh or or you can, you know, progressively shift more towards the knee dominant fashion as right. your knee calms down.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that might be, you know, just to like throw a bone toward the no knees over toes. That's like one instance in a particular yeah. individual where they may choose yeah. to avoid. Healthy it.
1: knees, no problem. That's if you right. have a pre-existing knee thing, then yeah. this would be a perfectly sensible thing to avoid in the short term and modify. But it doesn't mean that it's perfect it's like so, it's actually pretty wonderful. Like we can still do chair pose, we'll just do it this other way that's perfectly okay too.
0: Right. Exactly. That is yeah. As,
1: as opposed to like, oh, you you have knee pain so just uh, you should avoid chair pose. Chair pose is bad.
0: 100%. Instead, we can have more options and then we can like in an inclusive way all do the same the same pose um, in that container, something like that.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I like that. So so I think that kind of outlines what what we would like to present about knees forward over toes. Uh, Another very common, and maybe even was asked almost as much, if not as much, as knees over toes when we threw this out for questions about alignment in chair pose. But But the other biggie is about whether or not we should tuck or untuck our tailbone in chair pose. Yoga teachers tend to make a really big deal out of this. Like it's really important that when you come into chair, it's it's either that you should lift the tailbone. So that would be like an anterior tilt of the pelvis relative to the spine. And that may create some more lumbar lordosis or like that um, curve in the low back. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that key, the cue is given to lift the tailbone. And other times the opposite cue is given to tuck the tailbone, so to do the opposite. So tailbone down, um, posteriorly tilt the pelvis, and then that may you know, take some of the curve out of the low back. And in both cases, in my experience at least, when I hear teachers give you know, the, the instruction on either side, it's always with the same purpose, which is like to protect the back or protect the spine. Even How though it's too be? opposing, I don't know. <laughs>
1: I feel like the obvious answer is okay well it has to be somewhere in the middle.
0: <laughs> because right. So people right. are arguing
1: on either extreme.
0: Exactly. That that both of those actions will will result in the same thing which is like to mm-hmm. injure the back or something. Yeah. So for I guess my question one question for you Travis um you know being like an injury prevention expert and understanding the research on all of this in yoga specifically, so let's not think about the strength world where people are like loaded up in a squat. But in a yoga context, with chair pose, doesn't matter. Do you think it? <laughs> you like know what my question is? Yeah, doesn't matter if you're in there. If you lift your tailbone, and we're talking like how many degrees of movement is that? You know, either direction. Yeah. If you lift it, or if you tuck it, and yeah, you you would suggest it doesn't matter as far as injury and pain go. I
1: yeah, I don't I don't think you have to worry about it at all. I think you can just do you. Whatever happens, happens. But if one feels better than the other, then great. right. If you've been told to tuck and that hurts, or you've been told mm-hmm. to what? What's the other untuck?
0: <laughs> lift your tailbone.
1: <laughs> yeah, lift, and that bothers you, then just like do what feels right.
0: That's right. That's right. Like listen or, to or your don't, body.
1: Don't worry about it at all.
0: Totally. Now, do you think? Would you suggest that if we go back a couple episodes when we had our episode on uh, micromanaging? And the title of it was stop micromanaging your yoga students do you think this is an example of that like
1: this is a a perfect example yeah
0: you think cueing position of the tailbone in chair pose at all um you know unless there's like a really specific reason in a specific moment but just when you're generally teaching the pose in general cueing what people should do with their tailbone would you call that micromanaging
2: yeah
1: i would
0: (laughs) i'm so glad and i
1: in a strength and conditioning context it, you could also maybe make the case that it's not a big deal Uh huh. for a long time. People were making the case that it, it was a big deal. So in when the tailbone tucks in a strength and conditioning setting, we call that butt wink.
0: Yes. butt wink, it's like it's a winking posterior or
1: something. tilt of the pelvis leading to lumbar flexion. Mm-hmm. And that was, has been vilified in a squatting context, especially in a, deeper squat because the fear is that you're putting a lot of load through the low back in Mm -hmm. this lumbar flex position. So the, the counteraction to that was everybody should arch their back, arch, arch, arch. Right. So I've never heard anybody cue, um, tuck your tailbone because that's, that's usually being what we're trying to prevent in, in this like two depth squat where you're, you know, roughly parallel to the floor, thighs. Right. Uh. So anyway, that that was that was the cue for a while. Everybody should arch. We're trying to uh, maintain lumbar lordosis, but uh, it, as it turns out, that's sort of impossible to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Pretty we know this
1: from research. Right. Like you yeah, can't pretty uniformly as people squat, they will experience some tucking of the tail. And some, lumbar like flexion. Even, and lumbar flexion. Even when it looks visually like that's not happening, that's it still right. is happening. It just is,
0: yeah. Because so, you can't necessarily see the movement in between all the vertebrae, like your eyes from the outside. Like you would need some sort of imaging.
1: Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's more obvious, mm-hmm. that, like extreme to the naked eye, but it, it's happening all the time. And so it's probably not something that we have to worry about. And on top of that, there it's also probably you don't, you probably also don't want to excessively arch either. Right. So, because then you're just like taking yourself, you're creating artificial, not artificial stability, but you're, you're getting stability from the approximation of your vertebrae, as opposed to being Um, in a more neutral range mm -hmm. and creating the stability through muscular engagement. So all of that also lends itself to probably don't have to worry about it too much uh, unless something really outlandish is happening.
0: Right. Unless it's like extreme or if someone has like an acute, some pain or something going on where they might want to modify.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, my tendency now is like, I'm looking for neutral. Neutral is a range. Uh, You know, you can do some pelvic tilts in standing or on the floor, cat cow, whatever, find neutral and then like start there and yes, you will probably tuck as you go, and mm-hmm. that's also probably okay in a. And we're talking about in a loaded context. So <laughs> in, in an unloaded bodyweight context, where you're probably not even going as low as you might be in a strength and conditioning context, it really isn't a big deal.
0: Right. Either way. Right. Thank you so much for saying that, especially just coming from your background knowledge and expertise. Um, I think. I I mean, we could do a whole episode on just the tailbone and all the cues in the yoga world that like mm-hmm. the, the tailbone and its position is just so micromanaged and mm-hmm. thought to be super important. And so I just think it's good to make this point that.
1: Yeah. If I, I guess if I had to pick one or the other, I would say neutral as in don't worry about it um, right so that you're not taking it to either extreme, but also know that as you go down, it's it will naturally tend to tuck, but you don't have to either... Exaggerate that or try to counteract it,
0: right? It's just kind of the natural movement of like your bones relative to one another as you lower and as you lift.
1: Lumbopelvic rhythm is that a I thing? I think,
0: th- yeah, if I've heard that before, yes, lumbopelvic rhythm yeah. totally. That's like a sophisticated term, <laughs> but yeah, it's like how the body naturally moves, and um, and we don't need to like nitpick or override the way that it's naturally going to move, we don't need to worry mm-hmm. about it. Thank you for going through that so perfectly. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. And then I find when talking about chair pose, those were the first two biggies. I'm glad we covered knees forward um, and then the talker on talk. But a third one that tends to come up in my experience is about foot positioning. Yeah. And whether the feet should be together, whether they should be hip distance or whether they should be wider. Like there's kind of three general options there. Mm -hmm. And there tend to be a lot of questions about that, too. Like, what's the right foot width? in chair pose now in the strength world with a squat which you know we're we're suggesting there's overlap but we're also acknowledging they're not exactly the same but Mm -hmm. in a squat context what's up with like the foot foot width
1: yeah people love to argue about this too (gasps) uh the, the the textbook setup would be feet are shoulder width apart and Toes are flared to 30 degrees.
0: Oh yeah. So toes in out. Uh, let's talk we can include that in talking about this. yeah That's yeah, yeah. kind of on our list yeah. too. Yeah. yeah.
1: So So
0: you said feet are hip distance and toes are out to 30 degrees.
1: Yeah. Now there are other people who would say that the toes should be forward. And yeah. uh they're wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um that's fine. But most most people will have mo- they'll be more comfortable having their toes flared. Mm-hmm. So I guess spoiler like shoulder distance is a good place to start mm-hmm. toes could be forward but toes flaring will probably be a little bit more comfortable and then the 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 width being shoulder distance some people that'll be good some right. people will need to be a little wider some people will, be, will need to be a little more narrow and now the real like evolved thought process is that you your feet don't have to be even necessarily so they could be like a little staggered if you needed them to be one could be forward one could be out because if our bodies are we know that our bodies are inherently asymmetrical so we don't have to fit our bodies square peg round hole we can just yeah was was that right or round pegs no square peg round hole (laughs) we don't have to do that we can just however whatever feels best is what we should take we don't have to Artificially impose this symmetrical stance. So, anyway, there any, anything goes more or less. I mean, it still has to be within reason, but. Uh, right, right. It still needs to look
0: like a squat, like be in that yeah, um, yeah. movement they, pattern. There, of there a are squat. a lot
1: of potential ways that you Variations. could do it that we would still all call a squat. And I think my guess would be that you would say the same about chair with with maybe a slight Uh, bias towards a little bit of a narrower stance than what you would take in a squat
0: i think if you're just gonna go like classic yoga textbook like what is chair pose i agree with you i don't think it would it would be as wide as a gym squat as a strength Mm -hmm. squat.
1: we would call we like maybe the the textbook chair pose we would call like a narrow squat
0: in the strength world Mm-hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, but one thing you made me think of as you were talking about like the different positioning and how your two sides could be different. And like you could have one side maybe towed out a little more than the other. There's that difference as well. But I don't know if you well, I'm sure you remember, but I don't know if you were thinking to, in that moment that we have a video that we made through Strength for Yoga that's on social media that we'll link in the show notes, which is how to find your perfect squat stance. hmm which is, it's like a super simple, quick tip because, you know, people kind of fret about it. They're just like, well, what do I do? Feet parallel, feet, what distance apart? Like, how do I align? And, um, what's the tip that we give in that video?
1: Yeah. You just jump up in the air and however your feet land is your perfect squat.
0: (laughs) And why is that? Why is just jumping up and landing and you look down you're like, okay, this is how I should squat. Like, why, why is that?
1: It's just magic. (laughs) <laughs> oh, your, your body your exception. body figures out the best way to absorb that force
0: that's right like your body just kind of knows right it's like I'm about to receive all this load of your body landing down I'm gonna arrange myself in a, in a way to absorb that force as efficiently as possible or and, mm-hmm. and it just kind of naturally knows like you don't have to think about it that's what this whole micromanaging thing we keep talking about is like we're trying to override The way that our body naturally self-organizes itself in really efficient manners, we're trying to, in a top-down manner from like brain down to body, we're trying to decide what we think is best. But in many, many cases, if we just let it be more bottom up and let the body just like decide, and that jump is perfect because the jump and you land, it happens so fast, right? Like it's like a split, maybe it's not a split second, but it's fast. You might know because I know you time jumps and stuff, but it's, it's faster a, it's than a split
1: second, I think that's accurate.
0: <laughs> it's faster than you probably have time to actually consciously think about. Like I'm going to land like this. So instead mm-hmm. you can just trust that it's gonna self-organize in that split second. And then you look down and you're like, if my left foot's out at forty forty degrees and my right foot's at 30 and they're not. Maybe that's just because of my, um, my ankle, knee and hip joint structures and how they may not be the same on both sides. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm just going to go with it. It can be that simple. I think it's an example of how some of these things don't have to be so complicated. So, so mm-hmm. conceivably in the yoga world, I mean, you could encourage someone to do that for chair pose. You could like, that's like one approach, like jump up and land. And that's how you might want to be. But like you said, a squat in the strength world is a little different than chair pose. Generally chair pose is a little more narrow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But generally, when I tend to teach when I personally tend to teach chair pose, I just am pretty, pretty open, you know, like, obviously, when when we teach poses, there's still a container of the pose, like I, I I still want you to embody the shape where it's like you're sitting down into a chair. Um, But I'm not going to get too controlling um, in that sense of, of all these little alignment details, but more encourage people to embody a position, like a lower body alignment that just feels I don't know if like stable is a good word or just feels supported but that just feels like they can move in this like efficient manner that, um, that works well for their body and they don't need to overlay these like objective. So, so
1: would you have someone try out a few different foot placements maybe? Like if you were doing a one-on-one or I guess you could do that in a class. You could
0: do it. Yeah. So we might try feet together. We might try feet like hip distance, try feet wider for sure. Like let's try them all. And um and also you could just do that in an exploratory manner too like how mm-hmm. how do you experience mm-hmm. the loads differently in all of these different options like and that. yeah cuz they are different like they are going to target your knees ankles and hips differently in those different alignments Yeah. So just being a little more open about it, like, uh, you know, there's still a container to it. It's like we are doing chair pose. We're not doing warrior two right now. So that's not what we're asking for. But within the container of Ukatasana chair pose, can you tune into what feels like a good fit for your body? And it certainly might not look like the person next to you. And it certainly not might not look like my chair pose. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think it can just be a little bit open. Oh, I know what I was going to what I was going to suggest was was one other additional point there was, I guess you could um, intentionally, for a specific reason in a moment, teach a different foot width, like, maybe we want to teach feet together just in this moment for this purpose. Um, feet together is inherently going to be a little less stable, like for the mm-hmm. body, just so you know, if the wider the feet are, the more there's stability. So perhaps if you're wanting to layer on um, some more stability, I, I just you thought,
1: also need more dorsiflexion.
0: Oh, when the feet are together. Oh, I think
1: you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you have them wide, it's kind of a complicated biomechanical thing, uh-huh. but to to not fall over, you you just don't need as much anterior knee translation because your knees can go out. That
0: that makes so intuitively probably, that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, bring them yeah. in. They they can only go forward and in order for you to stay upright and not have your weight go back, then the knees have to go forward.
0: Makes sense. And and what if, for example, one of your goals was ankle mobility? Like, what if you wanted to work on increasing dorsiflexion mm-hmm. range of motion? Maybe that would be a good reason to bring your feet together and then mm-hmm. to really do this mm-hmm. like knees forward um, variation. Totally. Yeah. So when you layer on actual intention, then that can start to guide maybe how we might al- uh, suggest alignment um, in poses in in that for for those reasons. But again, it's wow. like so it's for like, that reason oh, in that moment. Said-
1: Yeah, if somebody just said, well, what's the right alignment? It's like, well, the right alignment for what and for who?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Like there really is outside of just the container that we need to look like and embody like we're going to sit in a chair. Like there is that container to it. So there's some right wrong when it comes to that. But beyond once we get into the finer details, there is not an inherent right or wrong. Like, in mm-hmm. asking the question, like what's the right alignment for chair pose?" that's maybe not even the best question unless you add the context that you're asking about. But if you just ask it like, um objectively,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Travis, there was one more alignment question that we wanted to include that I think is an important one to include about chair pose, and then maybe we can wrap up our talk about alignment confusions. Yeah. Maybe and this too one maybe two more. Okay, let's see how much time we have for uh, time we have. But uh, this one I know comes up a lot. And I've uh, personally experienced people being really confused about this. This has to do with twisting chair pose, where -hmm. your hands are in front of your heart, and then you twist and you hook your elbow around your knee, or move Mm -hmm. towards something like that. So this question comes up a lot uh if you were to think of your knees in that position and how they're uh side by side the knees are side by side the question is when you come into that twist should you keep the knees flush you know like so that they're in this perfect horizontal line or should you let one knee track forward of the other as you twist Mm -hmm. if um Mm -hmm. if i were twisting to the left then it would be that right knee that tracks forward that's kind of how it Mm -hmm. works like yep just like in the movement pattern. So you'll definitely find, or I at least definitely find yoga teachers who teach it both ways. Like um, okay. like they very strongly say it needs to be this way or it needs to be this way. So it'll be like, come in a twisting chair and now look down at your knees. And you may be instructed to pull that right knee back so that the knees mm-hmm, are flush. Let's just mm-hmm. continue with that twisting to the left example.
2: Mm-hmm. So it'll be
0: like, pull the right knee back and keep them flush. Like that's the correct way. And then other teachers will teach, look down and let the right knee uh, shift forward and let it let them be uneven and it's like you know emphasized is important like one is the right way and run, one is the wrong way. do you have any idea I have an idea but do you like just hearing about this difference of it's like seems subtle right it's like a inch or two of knee um, where the knees are placed do you have an idea of why mm-hmm. um that's emphasized as important in in either direction?
1: my only thinking would be that it's more aesthetic to keep the knees even.
0: Like it looks messy or something.
1: Yeah, what's naturally gonna happen is that one shifts forward, one shifts back, and people are trying to impose some artificial thing to counteract that.
0: I think that is certainly one of the reasons for sure. And again, that's coming back probably to the like um, yoga textbook classic picture approach, which certainly comes into these questions. So I agree with you about that. But there's another reason uh, that also comes in. I wonder what you'll think when I tell you, because I don't think I've told you this before.
1: There's some difference in muscular engagement, but I I don't think I know what you're going to (laughs) say.
0: So what I'm going to say is that this, and this actually tends to be taught with regard to twists in yoga in general, but it comes up a lot in twisting chair. But the idea is that if you twist your spine with, uh, while keeping your pelvis quote square, so again in this mm-hmm. whole paradigm of like straight lines and 90 degrees and square if you rotate your spine but you keep the pelvis square many people in the yoga world will say that that can tweak or damage your si joints your sacroiliac joints because if you think about it the sacroiliac so the sacroiliac joints are where the sacrum which is the base the bottom bone of your spine that triangular bone it sits in the pelvis and if you were to twist your spine while holding the pelvis still, then maybe, I mean, really biomechanically, I don't think this is possible, but the way people think about it is that that rotation in the spine will layer all the way down to the sacrum and the sacrum can twist in the SI joint. And they'll call that like torque, like SI joint, that's gonna torque the SI joint. And that's gonna like jam it and misalign it, pull it out of place and create pain. Does that make sense? So, if you apply that to twisting chair, what that is is if you come into twisting chair and you keep the knees flush, that's the same mm-hmm. thing as holding the pelvis square. So, and those are is... the people who
1: are saying you you should allow yep. the natural thing to happen.
0: That's right. So, those people okay. will say in twisting oh. chair, let the knee track forward. And the, it also is applied it's to kind a lot of the of other opposite twists.
1: of what I thought. Like they're saying, make sure that that knee goes forward oh, so that you yeah. don't jam your SI joint as opposed to make sure you counteract what naturally happens they're just they're you're right. reinforcing what naturally happens but they're thinking that if you don't let if you try to counteract make sure you don't counteract what naturally happens because that'll jam your SI joint
0: you're so right it's like double layered there you're t- it's like yeah. yeah like they're emphasizing let it not na- let it be natural which i think you and i would probably just generally like if you didn't
1: say that. anything then it would just yes. happen exactly. i mean I, I guess there could be somebody coming in and being like well shouldn't my knees be equal Shouldn't my right. pelvis stay whatever?
0: Right, right, right. Well, that's yeah. But in general, the way the body actually moves and flows through movement is as you rotate your spine, the pelvis is going to turn. Yeah. So yeah. in twisting chair, the knee would come forward. Mm-hmm. And in general, we we support like just letting that happen. But why layer on this like fear mongering yeah. cue? Yeah. That can that cause? Ha- do you think that's a likely? The,
1: the the good news for people is that the SI joint really doesn't move.
0: <laughs> exactly. The
1: SI joint. I have seen with my yes. own two eyes yes. in the anatomy lab. Yes. And, um, there, it just, it's, it's, it's a very stiff joint like a hundred, you,
0: super stable, right?
1: Yeah. You, your twisting chair is not going to de
0: stabilize. Know,
1: yeah. Destabilize your, that's, that's SI the joint. term terminology. It's a used. lot more.
0: What I tend trotline. to hear about. Yeah. I tend to hear that. It's like, Car accident. It's like high, high trauma, right. high forces that actually could actually injure um, the SI joint because it's that not, stable.
1: Not twisting chair.
0: <laughs> or any twists in yoga. Like I said, this is also applied across the board to yeah. all twists um, that you, that, yeah. I guess one case for maybe holding the pelvis square, you know, like, like in twisting chair, one case for keeping the knees flush. And maybe you'd agree or not agree, but I think if you hold the pelvis square, that would um that would direct more of the, the rotational force directly to the spine. Like I think you could get quote like a deeper twist
2: mm-hmm.
0: if you kept the pelvis um if you didn't let the yeah. pelvis also turn. So if that sure. was a goal, like you really wanted to wring out full rotation of the spine, then then maybe get
1: that detoxification. <laughs>
0: that we all that we all know happens when we twist it's funny the things yeah there's the detox myth when you twist and then there's the like mess up your si joint when you twist
2: Which your so opposite <laughs> we don't
1: we, we don't want to get too much spinal twist because that'll destabilize your si joint but we want a really good spinal twist so we make sure we get that strong detox
0: 100 percent. and in both cases all of that is just unnecessary to say we don't need to talk about that stuff. Because it's not true. And we could just let the body twist. Yeah. So do you think this does that address and answer that question? That good question that sometimes comes up about twisting? Yeah. Totally. Now. Um, so
1: I think either way. Exactly.
0: Either way to, I think you could do Yeah, Feels good too. I think yeah. generally, per- personally, if I as I cue that uh, I don't, I don't micromanage the knee placement, just let the I just I want them to get in that shape, you know, of like getting into the twist and however their body Whatever needs to organize. To. Yeah to to approximate that is what's going to happen so i wouldn't micromanage it personally
1: the the last cue that i just wanted to touch on was the weight in the heels
0: oh thanks for bringing that one up yeah mm-hmm. so and that came up in the questions that were submitted to us and i can personally relate to hearing this a lot and i used to say it all the time when right. i used well, when to you teach... were doing
1: the mm-hmm. right the weight in the heels goes with the vertical shin hip dominance
0: exactly and i I think maybe that's just what we wanted to explain because i think we got some questions on like i hear this cue but what does it mean or why are people Mm -hmm. giving it yeah and then the
1: the counter or the alternative to that would be allowing the weight to come towards the toes or the forefoot Mm -hmm. and that's going to it just um having the weight in the heels Helps you like find the posterior chain muscles, like yeah, or, like connect yes, you does. to those. Yes, versus the opposite, where if you let the weight come forward, then it's easier to feel the quadriceps working. Yeah. So then the happy compromise between them is feel the whole foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if there's a, if your foot is a a tripod, we say with yeah. the heel, big toe, and pinky toe, then just try to distribute the weight evenly yeah. as as a compromise. You could do it with your weight back. You could do it with the weight yeah. forward. I think that in a strength and conditioning context, we often say drive from the heels because yeah. people tend to allow their weight to come forward. And we're we're trying to counteract that by sending them back to their heels yeah. a bit.
0: That's a really good point so maybe yeah so in counteracting that forward tendency or if you had the intention of trying to get people to really feel and connect to the posterior chain yeah. then weight and heels um might be a good cue for that like it's not like a bad cue it's not like don't use it no it's at good, all i
1: think it's a good cue. yes yeah. but it's like it's like well that it, that's the that's the response to if you see people like yeah too far forward
0: exactly okay. like Right. We're right. But the way I used to use that cue in my teaching, which was just always, we always did chair pose with the weight in the heels. Make sure your weight's in your heels. Like that was right for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that. One,
1: one cue anymore. that I like to, to create that happy compromise is like, make sure you can wiggle your toes.
0: Ooh. If you okay. can't
1: wiggle your toes, then your weight might be too far forward.
0: I really like that, Travis. That's very, and maybe they could even try to wiggle their toes in that moment. Mm-hmm. it be a cool like toe mobility um opportunity I like that cool thank you for bringing that up because I think that was a, a great one to touch on as well um, but with all of that said uh this is gonna be super quick but my final question for you is for people who hate chair pose which is very many yogis it's for many it's mm-hmm. like at the bottom of their list of the poses they like uh what could they do to help make their practice of chair pose more easeful and what, less unpleasant a question and maybe you could just
1: give so, a quick answer. Yeah, we'll, we'll rapid fire Very here. Very quick. What people usually do is more chair pose. Oh, it's often typically, right. Yeah, that often doesn't work because they still hate it and it's never it never gets easier. That's And the right. problem is that you can do chair pose till the cows come home, but you're not actually getting stronger. You're increasing your endurance. Yeah,
0: as which we talked about. goes back
1: to what we said earlier. So if you want to get stronger so that you're, let, let's say you want to be able to hold a chair pose for 20 seconds or five breaths like Mm -hmm, comfortably mm -hmm. well the best way to do that is to do chair pose or squats with added load so that you build (laughs) strength so that when you return to your body weight version it does it just feels much lighter so you can progressively build strength by doing
0: squats with weight in a strength context and um um, people could do that in any strength con they go to the gym they could get a personal trainer one way they could do that is they could do that with us through our strength for yoga program um which is all geared specifically toward yogis and the yoga population and like introducing them to strength if they're interested if they're interested in bringing that into their movement practice we have a book called strength training for yoga that's such a great introduction it's um an eight-week program with all the and then an introduction to all the fundamentals and we also have an ongoing interactive a program called remote group training, and you don't have to get the book before you do that. You could just you could do either you could do both. But remote group training is like interactive, and it changes every month. And we're there to support you and answer your questions. And, yeah. and yeah, and the links to all that are in the show notes, people who use the code podcast 30 can get 30% off their first month in remote group training. So just that's like a cool hookup. And, and yeah. we've
1: absolutely heard feedback from people mm-hmm. who before I we had to either a squat or a chair pose month did we not? yes
0: we did we did
1: so it was a, a month where we we still do full body training like upper body lower body core every month yeah. but each month we have a little bit of a emphasis on one particular strength exercise or yoga pose and we focused on chair well i guess we called it s- squats but anyway right what we found <laughs> was the people said wow Chair pose, I used to hate, or it used to be so hard. And after just mm-hmm. one month of doing this chair or squat focused strengthening practice, I no longer hate chair pose, or <laughs> chair pose is not as hard for me anymore. Or it feels more easeful to do chair pose and it doesn't get me like out of my flow as much.
0: Exactly, so, I hate it as much.
1: Yeah, that is one benefit that one could look forward to by engaging mm-hmm. in regular strength practice, if chair pose is, uh, you know. Right, a pose non-stop. that they struggle
0: with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's so true, people had great uh, feedback on that. And of course we include squats and squat like exercises in all of our programs. That was just mm-hmm. one particular month where we extra focused on it. But yeah, so if you're interested in uh, bringing strength into your practice, um, and helping make your whole yoga practice in general feel more useful, then, you know, you might consider uh, our off- our strength for yoga offering. And with all of that, Travis, I feel like we should probably wrap this up and sign Bye. off. <laughs> I think we did a great job covering a chair pose and all these different facets. Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge um, oh, from all of your you. experience and, you know, your exercise yeah, science knowledge. Is,
1: it's fun to compare when there's such a, apples to apples or yeah green apples to red apples so much overlap between yeah the yoga poses and the strength exercises
0: absolutely so thank you so much i hope our listeners benefit from um this conversation it was educational and that wraps up our look at chair pose thanks again for listening to this episode of yoga meets movement science today And if you found this discussion to be of value, you could really support us by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.